And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Speaking of helping your business grow, if you sell anything, doesn't it sell a lot better when people have a better view of it? Like you're trying to buy something wherever it is that you buy stuff. And if you've got great pictures, you have great imagery, or maybe even the ability to see it right in front of you, you're more likely to buy. We're going to talk about how that has translated into 3D commerce before I introduce today's guest and the accolades that come along with today's guest. I need to let you know that today's show is powered by Fullscale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult and Fullscale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Go to Fullscale.io. There is a link in the show notes that'll make it easier. If you're not aware, that's my company. I love talking to Startup Hustle listeners. So Go to our site, fill out the form. Let's have a chat, see if we can find some solutions. With me today, I've got a return guest and the CEO and co-founder of one of Startup Hustle's top Kansas City startups on our 2023 list. I've got Jasper Malarney, CEO and co-founder of Epigraph. You can go to epigraph.us. Don't try to spell that on your own. Just scroll down to that link in the show notes. Click, click. And take a look at it. You can even do that while I'm talking to Jasper so you can see the cool stuff that they're doing. But without further ado, Jasper, welcome back to the show. It's been a while. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. I think you, you were actually a guest like when we had the very first studio that we haven't been in for like three and a half years when we had the it turned into a conference room after we would record and sometimes sounded like one while we were recording because <laughs> right. there was another conference room next door. So thanks for helping us grow through that. But yeah, man. Uh, so congrats on being on our top startups list. Well-deserved. And, you. you know, let's start a conversation. I, I, I know not everyone's probably listened to that episode. It's pretty deep in the feed, but let's get a little more about your backstory. Sure. Sure. So from Ireland originally, uh, got here at 16, started my career in ad tech in about 2002 uh, and then from there, sort of had done, did various things in ad tech as part of ad knowledge. Uh, about five years ago, I got into a conversation with my neighbor and his colleague about like where 3D commerce might go, right? So what's going to happen with the future of 3D visualization and what, you know, what's the ecosystem going to become? Uh, that's now, you know, referred to as the metaverse and by all these other terms. Uh, but the market kind of came up to meet the idea that we had a few years ago. So yeah, celebrated five years or are celebrating five years about now. And have grown pretty significantly since then. Well, congratulations on the five-year thing because that's actually a significant number for new businesses. Because if you make it five years, you usually make it right. Yeah, like past, yeah. like past that. <laughs> like that's the most treacherous. Well, the first year is the most treacherous. The first two years, almost equally treacherous. And then, yeah, maybe you figure out a little bit more about what you're doing or how to do it or who you're doing it with. And you know, for you, you're. You, I would. I would imagine that even just from the last time we recorded or five years when it comes to the technology. So what your company does is 
3D digitization of products and things, right? Yeah, essentially that. So when you think about going to a site today, generally products like furniture, power tools, outdoor power equipment, which are the verticals that we cover, they'll have photographs. Maybe they'll have a 360 spinner, right? So a set of images that presents the product. We actually make 3D versions of those products and find different ways to get them in front of consumers. So that's you know augmented reality being the one that's the big push that's kind of a sub metaverse product that we expect to really blow up when smart glasses are released. But in the shorter term, being a mostly bootstrapped company, we also create solutions for desktop that are very valuable. So things like 3D configurators, product tours, uh, and other things that drive session duration, session value, conversion rates, just by capturing a user's interest and engagement on those product detail pages. But the, the, the truth in the matter is that a better picture, a better visual experience translates to? Exactly, more sales. Yeah, and and that's, that's the whole yeah. point. Yeah. So now, are there actual stats that you're aware of? Anything that we can drop there? Like Absolutely. I, know, yeah. I know that when we talk to Andrew Morgans, our resident e-commerce guy who sells people, helps people sell more stuff on Amazon, you know, he'll, he'll tell me, you know, realistically, whenever they bring a new brand in or work with someone, he just assumes that they're going to have to redo like everything visual for them. So like how important is that for a seller? Critically important. Um, you know, for, for the stats that I can throw out for our product are if a user engages with augmented reality specifically, that's a three to five X increase in conversion rate. Uh, and then also session value tends to increase dramatically as well. So we're seeing like average session values, sort of like one to three minutes if you've got a good audience of users. Ours are over 10 in a lot of cases. Yeah. For configurators, it's higher than that. And the really nice thing about this is we can look at analytics and tie every engagement back to a dollar amount using session value. So I can go to a company and say, you made 10% more revenue this year because you had our product configurator on your site. And we we go for you know the rule of thumb in SaaS, at least... In ad tech asses, you know, it's a 10x. So whatever you paid us, you should make 10x that back in ROI. It's proven out to be largely true. I mean, it's if you average everything that we do, but everyone that we work with sees a, a strong ROI. Remember the first time I ever had to calculate a conversion rate and compare it to ads? And I talked about this a little in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom. We were driving people to a, a marketplace site where people bought and sold concert tickets. And I remember thinking ahead of that, because I like to create a hypothesis whenever I'm like, oh, it'll take me 10 ad clicks to get a sale. It took me like 60 first off, and then it was really expensive. And it didn't take me long to realize I had a negative return on those. Yeah. And I was like, wow, we have, so that's not very good. And you talk about increasing a conversion rate by three to five X, that's phenomenal. Because yeah. that also makes your other numbers, the point is it makes your other numbers a hell of a lot more palatable if you're paying, because clicks can be expensive. It depends on what you sell. But, you know, one of them, I was talking to a, a friend of mine that sells foundation repair products for your home. Yep. They pay like 300 bucks for a lead. And those clicks are like 50 to 60 bucks a, a click. Yeah. A click. So 10 people could click on that ad and that's 600 bucks. You might not even sell anything. Yeah. That's incredibly competitive. I mean, so you think about the other benefits as well. So if you have increased session duration, that improves SEO. So there are upstream higher funnel benefits to our product just from that. Um, the sort of capture of that final conversion with augmented reality or a configurator, we see it as sort of a tiebreaker. A customer is researching a product, you know, they're deep in the funnel about to make a conversion. 
uh, what we do causes them to be more likely to go with our customer's product than a competitor who might not have you know, this level of visualization. When you say configurator, you mean me as the buyer or user, I can change colors or... We actually built one that is an entire bathroom remodel product for a company that pays a lot of money per, for leads as well. So you can go in and design your whole room. You can pick out all the surfaces, your bathtub, your faucets, all the rest. Um, we're also doing it for craftsmen for their toolboxes. And in that case, you can drop it in augmented reality in your garage and make sure it fits when you're finished configuring it. So I'm going to start with the people that are coming tomorrow to just clean my garage. Okay. That's where I'm at in my life. Yeah. I had to literally pay people to come undo my rat's nest called my garage. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. So this, so folks, this stuff isn't simple. My, the, uh, another episode I, I think of, and I think you probably know Joel Tepley and Heather over at Cambrian because yeah. they do use computer vision to they actually sell an app that their their biggest user are paint makers. So you can, right. see, they, you know, his story is kind of funny because he created that paint app and like put it up and it went viral and he got like a hundred thousand downloads or something crazy like that in like a week. And yeah. then, and he was like, wow, so I didn't get paid for any of these. But yeah, but the complexity of that stuff, but he really opened my eyes to it because, you know, computers and the, and the display you see on your monitors, 2D, but your perception of what's on, inside, uh, on the monitor can be 3D. And to talk about the complexity of it, he's like, well, look at the corner of your room. It's so much more shadowy than this other side that, I mean, it's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of tricky stuff to it. And I was like, wow, this is a lot more difficult. So with what you're doing, I mean, where's, what's the, what's the major obstacle and, and everything that you've had to climb over to get good at this stuff? Sure. I mean, there's a lot there. Uh, and I'll say like our approach is a little bit different in that we're generally using Apple and Google technology to drive the experiences with users on the, on the device level. So we figured that the big platforms are going to create a lot of the computer vision technology in terms of like floor sensing and wall sensing and things like that. So our challenges then are, you know, we have to build a content management system. We have to make sure that it's set up properly on a CDN. We have to make sure that's all secure. So we're Ace Hardware's exclusive provider for 3D. You work with any retailer, you have to have every piece of your security buttoned up, right? You've got to log visitors to your office and you know, go through ISO and or SOC uh, compliance. I mean, there are lots of things that you have to go through to get there. You have to pay for expensive cyber insurance. So... Those were major hills to climb that gave us a, a real competitive advantage. Uh, the other part is just figuring out exactly how to get users to engage with the product, right? So right now we see between, on a good product detail page, 5 to 10% of people engage with AR. If that number goes up, it does not dilute the results. But 5 to 10% is not a very high number. So how do you get it to be 15 or 20%, right? And that's a UI question that we, uh, that we deal with a lot. So... It's interesting. We've been having a lot of discussion internally about product market fit. Well, we've developed something that people will pay for that users like, at least this, the, the number of users that engage, and that's, that's driving ROI. But you've also had a market that's moved all over the place the past three years. Um, when I speak to you know, VCs or other sort of advisors and outside parties about our business, I say, well, imagine you're the VP of marketing for you know, a furniture or a power tools company. Thinking about it more recently, imagine you're the VP of a power tools or furniture company for the past three years and what your life has been like uh, and how many decisions you have to make day to day around what products you're going to buy, what's important when your entire Supply inventory is sitting problems, out on a ship. Yeah. Right? There's, there's just 
there, it's been so volatile on the market side of that. So you know, that's been that's been something that we've had to pay very, very close attention to. So how do you build the model? Because I, I feel like, and, and forgive me for, I probably should have listened to the episode that we recorded. <laughs> Actually, did we record that virtually or did you come to the studio? I, I mentioned the studio. It was virtual. Okay. All right. I, I, I would be remiss and, and probably not honest if I said I had a crystal clear memory of the 750 of these I've recorded. So <laughs> it gets to be challenging. But I, I feel like you told me before, were you building those off of like the schematics charts? Like you don't actually have to have the object. That's right. Yeah. So we are using CAD. We almost never see physical products. There are sometimes we need samples for very specific surfaces and things like that. So we do work with RH, formerly Restoration Hardware. They sent us some leather samples to scan because their leather is very specific. and You've got to get bug bites on the cows and all this other stuff that's very difficult to visualize accurately. So, but most of the time we don't need the physical product. So when you think about COVID and not needing physical products, that gave us a bit of a tailwind. It makes life a bit easier for that VP of marketing. What makes it harder is when all their products are sold out at all the stores and they're waiting for more, or more recently when they have a, surf, a surplus of products and they're trying to figure out how best to price them and win the, the consumer dollars that are there. So yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting time to build this type of product. You know, marketplaces in general are, I find them to be really fascinating because for anybody that, that wants to build one and, you know, for startup founders that if you're hopeful or you're, you're getting started, listen to what I'm going to say, because people overestimate the difficulty of populating the marketplace and, you know, and whether you say, oh, well, my, my thing isn't a marketplace. It is if, I mean, LinkedIn is a marketplace on some regards. Like you have to, they sell job ads. It's like a big driver of what they do. If you don't have, if you don't have applicants and you don't have people hiring, then you don't have, you could have a whole bunch of one and none of the other. And if that's the case, you got nothing. Now, part of that is often about awareness. And one of the things you said a few minutes ago was like the engagement and that could be a UI instance. I have actually like in that, I was, you know, I've actually visited sites and, and, and really been researching stuff. And then you're there like 20 minutes later and you're like, oh, this would have been nice to know this was here yeah. 19 minutes ago. How did you, how do you fix that? How do you, cause it, not every, I don't think everyone's used to having this kind of stuff. And three years ago or five years ago, probably certainly not. How do you even know it exists? Like, how did you tackle that issue or what do you, what do you do about that? For sure. So like with ACE is a good example, you know, their demographic uh, trends a little older, a little less tech savvy. We built in some edu educational content on the PDPs to actually show what was going to happen when they clicked that space button. Um, another part of it is just making sure that button is visible, um, making sure people are, are actually there engaging with it. We have another customer, Furnish, who has that button twice on their PDPs, and that that did a lot for engagement. So as a user is scrolling and learning about their product, they're giving more opportunities to engage with our technology because we know how valuable that engagement is. The other piece of it that's helpful is, um, you, know, you mentioned Amazon, they are building out this product. We are a partner of theirs. So we have five brands live on Amazon. The more companies like that propagate things like augmented reality, the more users will engage with them, the more used to it gets. So it's sort of the consumer population gets educated outside of Epigraph and then comes up to meet us and engages with our experiences when they see them. Uh, and those experiences are becoming more and more standardized. So, you know, viewing your space is kind of the term of art for for it, uh, which we did trademark actually. So that's um, going to be fun. Um, but so there there is some standardization occurring, and we're seeing more and more consumers engage. 
All of this, though, is preparing for smart glasses. At the point smart glasses are released, then it becomes table stakes for anybody selling any three-dimensional sort of hard object or, or, or piece of furniture. And that's sort of what we've been building towards since we started five years ago. When's that coming? We don't know. I feel like I've been hearing about it. I ask because I feel like I've been hearing about it. I, I remember like when Google Glasses came out and that was a decade ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't ever see anyone walking around with them. Google Glass or the Palm Pilot, right? Sure. So Palm Pilot came out, you know, it was a great smart device that did a lot of things, but it didn't reach, reach sort of critical mass in terms of consumer. Well, maybe because you had to learn how to use a specific graffiti language to really be fast at it. And I know that because my sister actually learned it and I was like, really? <laughs> like, I'm not going to learn how to, t- how to write hieroglyphics. Like I struggle with the English language enough on some days, but yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, as that, I, cause you hear, you, here's the thing. We've had a lot of episodes we we did uh, last year. Uh, Watson and I did a 10 part series about NFTs. If you want to mm-hmm. get to the start of that, it's really easy to go find the episode uh, WTF as an NFT. And we traveled down, you know, we did 10 episodes with it and there was a lot of metaverse stuff in there. Um, and, you know, the, I think there's a lot of people waiting for this widespread adoption of some of that, but at the same time, it, I think the people that are into it are into it. And then there's everyone else. So how are we getting everyone else in there? Yes, I agree. And the metaverse has been thrown around and means lots of different things, depending on where you are in the market. I, I'll say this, I met with VML here recently, and they were talking a bit about some of their investments for their advertisers in Metaverse. I'm not convinced the Metaverse, as the term is generally used, is not Farmville, right? We all saw that blow up. Farmville was huge for a few years. It was this virtual world. People spent real money in it, and then it just kind of died. Um, I think there are much broader uses of the technology, similar to sort of crypto and NFT as well, where you'll have bubbles and sort of a lot of uh, enthusiasm around very specific use cases, but they don't become mainstream. I think there are mainstream use cases out there for those things. And I think there will be them for AR as well. So think about you're walking around a city. So I went to Italy over the summer. I was in Venice. If you've ever been to Venice, it's a maze, right? I don't know how people found their way around the thing prior to having any kind of technology. So I'm walking around holding my phone up, trying to figure out how to get to the restaurant I'm going to. Imagine I'm wearing smart glasses and there's a heads up display overlay for maps that shows me exactly where to go. I don't have to pull anything out of my pocket and I can experience sort of the world I'm in a bit better. That's the the easy low hanging fruit use case. Uh, There are plenty of others like that. You know, mapping the interiors of buildings and stores. If you are out shopping and you're trying to find something, it'll guide you to where it is in, in a store. So those things will push the mass adoption that will get us to you know, critical mass of this being a really important, you know, dominant screen, right? So eventually the prediction is that instead of holding a a phone in our hand, most of the time we spend at the screen will be some kind of a a smart glass or contact lens. At that point, you're buying a couch. Why would you look at two-dimensional images of a couch when you can look at a photorealistic 3D one? So that's where we think it'll go. There are rumblings all the time about when Apple will release their product, this rumblings that there'll be one this year. You know, Magic Leap has a ton of investment in it. Facebook's got their, Meta's got their own investments in it. Uh, Amazon has a bunch of, bunch of patents that are really inter- interesting as well. So not sure when we have to build value in the meantime, like I said, but you know, there's some point, always something that breaks the dam and, yeah. you know, like, so chat GPT obviously kind of took the world by storm yeah. and it's not that it was AI was new. It's not that actually 
what it does was new, but it was useful. It was easy to use. It was, it produced something that didn't require a bunch of editing when it came out. And now, and when I say break the dam, I feel like it broke the dam on a lot of stuff because all of a sudden Bing's trying to compete with Google again. Google's releasing more. It's like, and here it comes because it's like, I don't know. There seems to be, I don't know what that's going to be with that that technology. Um, I mean, honestly, from my perspective, I'm not like a big gamer, you know, like I bought a PlayStation five, I played it three times and now my kids have a PlayStation five because it was for me, it wasn't for them in the yeah. beginning, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, with that, the, the part of with like, you talk about like the AR and the VR stuff, like I just haven't been able to adopt the whole concept of like wearing a giant headset. Yeah. You know, like that's still just like, I don't know, but you look at something like a pair of glasses, which I went 40 years of my life to not require. And now I can't read my own phone without them. <laughs> like that's a lot more tangible in, in some of that regards. And, you know, I mean, it's coming, it's coming. Yeah. Like you mentioned, even like a contact lens, like it's coming because it just, everything gets smaller. Right. I mean, what's yeah. Elon's released in the, what the thing I, I'm, I don't know if I want to be the first user of the thing you attach to your brain. No, I'm definitely. Or maybe I do. Who knows? Like, I don't know. Like if that's like the limitless pill, then yeah. I mean, where do I, where do I get my refill on those? Speaking of refills, if you need to refill or find software developers for your team, we make that quick, easy, and affordable at full scale. And, uh, you know, all you gotta do is go to fullscale.io, click that button that says hire developers. It takes less than two minutes for us to ask what we need and pair you up with people that are hopefully the experts at what you need them to do. Uh, you know, that's uh, always a challenge for so many technology providers and, you know, we get the people, the process and the platform to help you with that. All right. So when it comes to like the, like we we talked about this a while ago. So I look back at the notes and I, I apologize. That was a year and a half ago. God, yeah. Time flies, man. I thought that was like four years ago. Entrepreneur years are like dog years, by the way. So if I, and, and entrepreneur years, I'm approaching like 300 years, I think. Yeah. So you look back a year and a, and a half in the timeline, you were just kind of, you had already gained traction, but I know you were really trying to get the product out, yeah. get more business and whatever. How is that? How is the, how has that changed at your business? Yeah. Yeah. So I think when we spoke last time, we had built out the, the, products themselves and we were able to put them in front of consumers usually through brand sites right so ego uh, who makes lawnmowers and lawn equipment uh, is a I very early adopter I have one, yeah. yeah yeah they're yeah. A great great product really great team as well so we started with them on their brand sites some consumers when they're researching will go to a brand site and they will look there and they'll click where to buy or a store sure. location button so next phase after that was how do we get these valuable experiences in front of as many people as we possibly can so we started doing sort of strategic partnerships with these larger companies, retailers. So Ace was the first. So they adopted on a pilot uh, in 2021, signed a deal with us in 2022. So now we're just almost a year into um, us being their exclusive provider. And they're carrying content that no other retailer is. They've got 3D product tours on their site, not on every product. We're working our way through the catalog. Well, that's uh, smart because yeah. I would imagine the retailers, the pipeline to all the other people that are you that they're selling for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I like yeah, that. Yeah. Smart. So, um, and from them, we started working with companies like Milwaukee. Um, 
we're in a, in a early stages with Bosch. We've got Traeger, Weber, Big Green Egg. Uh, there are a few others that I'm forgetting that are all uh, that all kind of came to us through that. Standard like a Decker, Dewalt Craftsman is the other big one that we got there. So then we have this set of brands. We go to the other retailers. So we started working with Lowe's Innovation Labs around the same times that we started started building for Ace. Um, now we are pretty broadly spread on on Lowe's site. Lowe's and Stanley Black and Decker are tied pretty closely together, just as as companies. So we're doing all the SPD stuff for um, for Dewalt Craftsman and Black and Decker on Lowe's. Uh, working with Home Depot as well. I actually got an introduction to their CIO from uh, my Tech Venture Studio group here, which was great. Um, and trying to get our technology integrated on Home Depot. That's going to take some time. Uh, and then looking at the third-party companies, uh, companies like Syndigo, Salsify, InRiver, the PIMs that sit between the brands and the retailers. So essentially, we build these experiences. Let's get them in front of as many consumers as possible. Now, Amazon's the other big one. So we are part of Amazon's beta program for... Uh, they, they sell a couple of things. A couple, yeah, yeah. It, it sounds to me like when that you have... Uh, there's some advantage in there for you when you, here we are at one place and it sounds like the other place is like, well, if they're using it, we probably should too. I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to get too into the weeds with your deals or whatever, but I mean, good for you. Yeah. There's a bit of FOMO there. Yeah. Uh, the other part of it is, you know, if you're a brand using us on one channel, you have a lot of reasons to use us on the other channels Correct. that you're selling through. Right. Yeah. So it gives us some sort of a kind of a, a good competitive mode. I, you know, I really want to, com- I don't know if it was intentional or not, but the uh, approach to the retail side of things is that's going to expose you to all of the different, I mean, how many people sell stuff through this hardware? Cause it's a lot, right? Yeah. It's a whole yeah. lot. Yeah. And I would imagine you get one signed up and then they see results. And at some point it's probably feasible to say that brands and sites and marketplaces like that might not even let a brand sell if they don't have these kind of displays. That's a really good, really astute observation. So Lowe's is Is that pushing, true? Uh, well, I mean, or, they, I mean, is that possibly headed that direction? I know like, so with Lowe's, they have required a certain level of content and they will scorecard mm-hmm. certain yeah. product detail pages. So if you're, you're going to get downgraded. Your yeah. SEO might suck on Amazon or something with that. Right. Yeah. 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 And that opens up another conversation here too, that we are looking very closely at, which is the retail media space. So Amazon rolled out their ads program a few years ago. You can buy ads within Amazon for your own products. That was a billion-dollar business basically overnight. Yeah. Uh, I think it did $3 billion in its first months or something. Yeah. It was crazy. I've used it to sell books. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So every other retailer that has traffic is rolling out their own version of that, and that's yeah. retail media. So you know, Walmart's building theirs, um, and they're you know, still bigger than Amazon, which surprises a lot of people, but they're rolling out their own their own retail media market. Then you've got all the other companies thinking about what retail media means. If I have content within those retailers that helps people sell, does that become a retail media ad unit for the brand? And is there a retail participation in that? So I'm not sure if that's what Well, well let's back is, up because I don't yeah. think everyone's going to know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> um, so um, I used to work for Roland. It's the world's largest mm-hmm. maker for electronic musical instruments. And in certain cases, when we had vendors that sell a ton of stuff and we may give them co-op of sorts, yep. we, meaning cooperative payments, rebates, something to incentivize them to actually use our products in their, in their ads. Yeah. 
And yeah. so it's, it's just a form of past, but, but with that, I mean, the conversation was always, well, first off, will the, will they actually do it? Mm-hmm. Cause you can give someone a co-op and they sell a shitload of your products at the store. And it doesn't mean that they actually used it to advertise. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, where are they going to use it? And, and then also, are you going to create a, uh, so with that, you know, in that, in the musical instrument industry, this, un, this, as e-commerce had it came in, this level of undercutting got obscene. So then we had to introduce, introduce minimum, minimum advertised pricing yep. and, and a whole lot of different stuff. It got really complex. Now go, I want to go back to Amazon for a second, because Amazon don't fool yourself. People, Amazon is a search engine right. and it is actually as in my opinion, the most powerful search engine when it comes to selling anything, because it is completely it's. Google's designed for tire kickers and research. Amazon is designed for buyers. Right. And it doesn't mean that people aren't researching and buying it, but that is the primary in, in, like mission there, which is a little different than Google. And Google it needs to have multi-faces and tiers and facets and stuff like that. And Amazon does on some levels, but Amazon's uh, very interesting because it, a lot of its search engine capability is, is favors things that are hot and trending. The more yeah. you sell and the, the less clicks it takes, the higher, and it knows it's going to put you up on top. And that's why some people have to buy ads because that's how they got to get the momentum started. It's a very interesting dynamic. And yeah, I mean, it's crazy that selling ads inside your own store and it's a billion dollar yeah. industry. Yeah, so before yeah. this, I had an agency that ran all of Yamaha's Amazon content, and we used to regularly do conquesting campaigns, which yeah. means you're buying an ad on a competitor's product and yeah. winning it away from Marantz or whoever the competing product was. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's a very, <laughs> these are these are complex and tricky things on many days. <laughs> and yeah, it's uh, well, you mentioned Yamaha, so Yamaha is the world's largest maker of, of musical instruments, right? And so many people don't know that. If you have a Yamaha motorcycle, look at the logo. It's three piano tuning forks, uh, like intertwined. Yeah, yeah. And a uh, huge company, but but with that, uh, huge product catalog. And, uh, you know, some of it, so at one point when I was in retail, I just started as a, this is, man, this is so long ago. Worked for a company that once had 250,000 SKUs. And the very first meeting I went to just happened to be the day when everyone was like, okay, we cannot have 250,000 SKUs. <laughs> uh, most of those were actually, uh, there was a musical instrument retailer. Most of those were actually sheet music. Oh, and we actually determined that it was far cheaper to sell out all of our sheet music, no longer carry it because we saw it going digital. We sold it all off by the pound. Yeah, just, yeah, just right because, dude, that many SKUs is a lot to keep up with. So, is that what your team does? Because, like, you look at part, like, I don't know, dude, you got to have a lot of people that have a lot of SKUs. Like, is do you make it easy for, like, how, how okay, I got 100,000 SKUs, Jasper. I'm ready to digitize this. Does, is that like, does that make you, like, in a Pavlovian way, salivate, or does it, are you like, oh, God? Well, I mean, it's doubtful a company would have 100,000 individual, like unique SKUs that we, that our product. They required three. For, right. There's a long tail there where it's not. Well, companies that have that would be like an auto parts place. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like AutoZone probably. But, but think that. about this. Think about you are uh, RH and you have a configurable sofa and the number of combinations of those sofa configurations are in the millions, right? Because you've got. 25 different finishes and all the different layouts. So 
essentially you've got millions of unique products that can be sold to consumers. So you need a way to catalog all of those and, 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 and to make selling them uh, easier. So now that usually requires a consumer to go through and hit checklists, right? I want this product yeah. in this color. And you're going through kind of a form. We visualize that. Instead, and that's the configurator. The user goes in and builds yeah. it and they're able to select their finishes, pick the one they want, and then it's done, right? And, and they can, it's it, our product ties into ERP as well. So we know what's in stock. We know what's not. We can do pricing at the regional level if we need to. So there's a lot of features to that product that make uh, that solve that problem, although it's not making 200,000 unique SKUs. What's your, how do you generate revenue? Like, what is that? I mean, you don't have to get too far in the weeds, but I mean, where does Epigraph? And once again, there's a link in the show notes. I love what you do, man. I think it's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I just like, I, I like anything that helps people sell stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm just like that, that I get kind of goofy and nerdy about that. But so with that, when you sell stuff, is that like a subscription? Is it a service? Like, I mean, what, how do you generate revenue? Yeah. So there's some services on the front end of setting up and onboarding in our platform. Um, so there's a setup fee, content creation fee. Uh, and then after that, it's subscription. Okay. Uh, so they're, they're, they're subscribing to your engine and they choose where they're going to put it or how they're going to use it afterward? Yeah. We help okay. them implement on all those different places and we run the analytics for them. Sure. You know, Make sure that we're keeping up with updates from Apple and Google and basically the different devices of the world that this eventually has to run on. So Sorry for having to deal with that. <laughs> That's a pain in the butt. You know, people yeah. talk to us at full scale and, and this is how I know you don't, you've never built software. When you say, well, how long will it take to build and when will it be done and how much will it cost? And I'm like, you've never done this before, have you? <laughs> yeah, never done. <laughs> and, and sometimes people, and I don't really say that, but I say, look, you, you don't build software that just lives in perpetuity on its own peacefully. Because, and I've had people say, well, if it's built well, it shouldn't break. Well, that's also not true because you can right. build something great. Uh, iOS 14 was a good example. It broke half of the app store. Yeah. Did you get some issues with that? Because that was when, that was the, that was the main update that, that made all the changes related to privacy concerns right. and a lot of stuff like that, which in some cases, people that had built apps just needed to, re uh, just needed to maybe read a terms of service and click a button here, but a lot of people didn't do that. And it literally broke half the app store, man, if not yeah. more. And, 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 and Google doesn't call you and tell you they're changing something in Chrome. AWS doesn't. So AWS will go or any server company might go and, you know, they're putting in security patches or changing frameworks or doing something updated. And it just, it just, there's just something in your software that might not agree with it. And that's what software developers do in a lot of days is go in and fix these little problems and make these little adjustments, but it's a lot to keep up with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on our side, we're all web. Like, so we're not actually within app in any, any cases, it is something that we do support. Um, but we see most of the eyeballs being still on web and browser. So that's where our technology runs. So we've avoided some of those issues, but you know, Google did an update maybe a year or two ago, a year and a half ago or so where they changed what was allowed in a 3D model for their AR platform. Okay. And it broke a bunch of stuff and we yeah. had to go in and catch it and fix it and all the rest. And, you know, sometimes our customers will ask, well, you're just making 3D models and putting them out there. Why do you have to pay a subscription? It's like, well, they have to be maintained. They have yeah. to be updated. There are improvements to visual fidelity and stuff that become uh, available as file sizes increase and as the technology platforms change. 
when smart glasses are released, that's going to have its own other, you know, set of hurdles around, you know, Th- that sounded like a rookie compliant. question too, by the way, like, <laughs> yeah. why do you need a subscription? Well, I mean, if you want to just deal with it on your own, right. Forever. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. That's, and companies uh, do try to do that. They'll, you know, get some models and put them out there on servers on the web, and then they'll load very slowly on users' devices and they'll have security holes and all the other things that go along with, uh, trying to home build something this complex. Um, Thankfully, we've got a lot of larger companies that see the value in what we do and subscribe. So, Once again with me today, I've got Jasper Malarney, the CEO and co-founder of Epigraph. You can go to epigraph.us. There's a link for that in the show notes. Jasper is the CEO and co-founder of one of Kansas City's top startups on Startup Hustle's 2023 list. We take that seriously, folks. So listen to the rest of the episodes. This whole week is all about my hometown, our hometown here in Kansas City. Now, as we arrive at a thrilling conclusion of today's show. I just want to remind everyone that today's show is made possible by Fullscale.io. If you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, Fullscale can help. We have the people, the platform, and the process to help you find and manage a team of experts. Just go to Fullscale.io, answer a couple questions, and we, our platform is going to give you some matches. I do not have 3D models of mm-hmm. our actual people, but it, uh, a lot of our a lot of our profiles, actually, we have like an animated GIF in the header and we encourage the uh, our, our team member to do something that um, it, it just it shows them moving in the header <laughs> and like something that we've had people do magic tricks. We have one lady that has a sign that says free hugs. Um, yeah, the, a lot of fun and interesting personality things there. And, it, and that, it just even something that simple really uh, brought to life what I mean, resumes are boring. Come on. I mean, it, inherently. So finding ways to spice it up. Uh, when I record my episodes of Startup Hustle, I like to end my shows with what I call the founder's freestyle. You know, these these shows go fast for us here recording it. And you know, here we are in, in our 37th minute of the show. And so I like to give everyone the mic. You know, it's your freestyle, Jasper. You can do whatever you want. I've had people rap, do poetry, uh, talk about the things that they forgot to mention. Who knows, man? It's your shot. So here's the mic, man. What, do you, what would you like to say on the way out? Uh, I'm not going to rap or do poetry. Um, Probably best for all of us, but it, it, it's an option. Uh, I think for the fellow founders out there, you know, it's been a tumultuous few years. Uh, I'd say the one thing that's benefited the most is just to, just to focus on self-care. I work out every morning, you know, try to meditate when I can, you know, pay close attention to diet. Um, all those things add up. I do acupuncture from time to time, which is amazing if you haven't tried it. So over the long term, it's very easy to get kind of emotional about some of that tumult that comes at us every day. You know, the more stoic you can be uh, about the challenges that come up and the, the more you can realize that like the challenges are there for you to solve. If they weren't there, you wouldn't have a business. Uh, just makes uh, Just makes it easier to sort of get through the day and overcome and get to the next one. So take care of yourselves out there. You know, uh, I wasn't where I was going with my freestyle. Well, first off, <laughs> look, use, if you sell stuff, use the tools that are available out there that can help you sell more stuff. And that's what Epigraph does. If you can show, I, I'll tell you right now, I, I'm looking at the, the, the actual soundboard here in our studio, which I bought because it actually had a good view Yep. And I was able to see, there was just, I wanted to see the back of it and I wanted to see underneath it. And, and that just was what I needed to see to buy it. 
I'm not even sure that was a 3D model yet, but some of it's just like, and I remember looking at something right before and it just had one picture of it. And I'm like, dude, yeah. yeah, like what can I plug into this? So use those tools. Now, a couple of things on, on self-care. A, I agree with everything you said. You know, I hired a mindfulness coach in, really? the, in the fourth quarter um, of, of 2022. And when you say mindfulness, you know, there's a lot of responsibility and just things um, they go through your head and I'll have people say to me, cause I'm a high energy person, which at 48 is a huge asset. You know, that's how old I'll yeah. be this year. So I turned 48, I'm almost 50. And, and I remember when I was eight, people were like, you have way too much energy, calm down. <laughs> and then when I got to be about 28, people were like, dude, I wish I had your energy. When I got to be 38, people that were 38 were like, okay, what's going on here. Yeah. Uh, but with that, your thought, my thought process sometimes feels like, I equate it to a blender full of bottle caps. And you talk about the mindfulness stuff is like learning how it, and my coach is, is great. She's actually not a technology person, but she always refers to our programming yeah. and just being able to reset yourself sometimes because it's easy to let little things bother you. And, you know, regardless of how you want to look at that, those things are distractions. And um, in Congress with the mindfulness coach, I've spent a whole lot of time over the last year having discussions, re doing research and um, learning about the traits of genius. And they're very definable and they're all very palatable. And so some of that, but the one thing I learned is that we all get a chance to step into our own zone of genius. But the two things that are guaranteed to tether your ascent to where you do your best work are negativity and self-doubt. Absolutely. So you talk about mindfulness and getting rid of the negativity and I don't know, man, it's easy to feel upset or mad or frustrated or disappointed because entrepreneurship is full of that. Right. So whether, regardless of how it is, like I, I meditation is great. I actually do get massage because yeah. I'm just a big guy and my body hurts. I have big people problems. So that helps. And then also when I'm in the Philippines, it's like, 10 bucks for like a two hour professional <laughs> session. I'm in on that, but, but yeah. And these, and, but that, that's important and, you know, take care of yourself. Cause I don't know. I mean, it, your personal professional and physical state all need to have some form of cooperation with each other. That's what my book balance me is about. If one of them's way out of whack, it's going to come back. It's like, I've been working on that. I let the pandemic and everything else put weight on me. And yeah. now I'm like, now I got to get rid of it. And man, it's a lot harder at my age than it was when I was younger. We'll save that for another episode. Once again, Jasper, thanks for make, thanks for joining me and congratulations for being one of Kansas City's top startups. Thank you. Congrats on the growth of the podcast. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.